Welcome in to Natchez Glenhouse Stories. This is always a fun opportunity to talk to my friend Joe Lample. And I always say this, that before we start recording sometimes, I like to stop us because we'll probably talk too much about things that are important. The last time you and I spoke, Joe, which was just a little over a year ago, uh, but considering the happenings in the world over this last year, feels like a, a hundred years ago. Um, I guess uh, I'm curious of your take on this because I've I found myself and I've seen some other people, I think, struggle with this. One of the things that's been really odd for, I think, people in your position and my position is the world has gone through this horrifying, terrifying experience in the pandemic. But in the world of gardening, people have really taken an interest in a way that from most of the people I know who work in the wholesale nursery industry have said, we don't know when the last time was this many people were interested. Have you found yourself in that moment going, wow, this is such a weird dichotomy for somebody, you know, who loves gardening and is passionate about gardening that we've gone through this kind of year. More than you can imagine. I, you know, we just got through with a relaunch of a course that we created last year before the pandemic called master seed starting. And, um, you know, we've got a, a really nice audience that really, um, is receptive to whatever we put out there, free content all day long. And if we offer a, some paid opportunity, many of them jump all over it. And, and we had a really good launch last year, pre COVID. And then we saw COVID come around and we had some other courses that we had planned on reopening anyway, but we dripped them out just because I'm pretty active in, as they go through the course. So we just can't leave it out there all the time. Cause then they missed the opportunity for me to help them. But anyway, the point is COVID came along and we were relaunching our scheduled courses and just, they exploded. And all the new people that had never gardened before, but wanted to were so enthusiastic and so full of wonder, you know how it is, you know, you just, you're full, very optimistic, but uh, they knew that they didn't know everything and they were very receptive, but we were blown away by the number of people that were coming in last year. And in spite of that, because COVID obviously is still here and we were creating new content, and new relaunches, we thought, gosh, what is this year going to be like? And so we, having just come out of that last week with Master Seed starting relaunch, you know, we doubled, we doubled our students and, and we could have done a lot more. We were limited by what, how many people could come into our webinar rooms and we, we added new ones because the demand was through the roof. And it was like, what is, I mean, we said what is happening, but we knew exactly what was happening. This pent up demand for people that want to do something with this time and learn to garden and grow their own food and take control over, you know, what they're putting in their bodies and just the combination of cabin fever and everything converging at one time. It was like the perfect storm. So yeah, we saw it and we're seeing it. And, um, you know, I imagine it'll taper off once people's lives get back to what they knew before COVID. But I'm hoping that this really sticks for some people. I'm hoping that we can give them the tools and the encouragement and the motivation to keep it going at least long enough for them to realize, wow, this is really cool. And I'm, I can do this. You know, it's not as intimidating as I thought. So if we can just get there, I think we, we're going to see a, a surge in gardening like we've never seen before that could stick. I mean, everything has ebbs and flows, but I think this time we've got a critical mass of people that are doing it for the first time. And surely enough of those are going to go, this is pretty cool. I really like this. 
Let me you know? ask you to put your amateur psychologist hat on for a second, Joe. <laughs> okay. Do you think that it is, uh, for many people, a lot of great gardeners I've known, a lot of them say that being a good gardener sometimes is just observing, just paying attention, just watching the little things, the small things. Is this slowdown that was forced because of the pandemic part of that too, that it was... I have to slow down, right? I, I have to. One of the, I think the major excuses probably you've heard, I've heard that people have said over the last 20, 30 years of why people don't garden is a time issue. People don't have the time. We're so busy today. That was the thing. Every seminar you went to, people were like, well, people don't garden because they don't have the time they used to. But this forced people. And, and was that part of it? Just paying attention, having the time to pay attention. It had to be. I think the, you know, gardening, doesn't really transform before your eyes as you're standing there. You know, it's it's a slow process. And because they had less distractions and more time to kind of like pay attention, I think they finally had a chance to get what we get, you know? And um, you're right about that, though. Somebody journaled something they read from me somewhere, and it was it was just, you know, the one of the secret the secret weapons. I don't remember what I said, but it's something like the secret weapons that gardeners have to be successful is just paying attention. And that's what they're doing. And they don't even realize it. They're just, they've got an extra time on their hand. They're seeing this happen. And they're like, holy cow, this is unbelievable. So um, I'm not a professional or amateur psychologist, but that's my take on it. And I think that, thank goodness, they've got some time to really appreciate what we do. Did you feel good? And, and this is, again, sort of a, an interesting question path to go down that you've spent all of this time in your professional career over the last, you know, almost two decades. And I mean, I don't want to say, Joe, there's people that have worked in the gardening industry that sometimes feel like that work hasn't reached the audience that maybe they were hopeful for. But did you find yourself uniquely positioned, right? Mm -hmm. That you have this cachet of experience and work and time, you were already doing the courses, you were prepared to be a resource to people, which I think is a unique place for many people to be in a time like this. Yeah, absolutely. I feel blessed and fortunate that, you know, over, like you said, 20 plus years of teaching horticulture and gardening and, and trying to inspire, especially the younger, newer gardeners to this great endeavor um it didn't happen overnight but by being consistent and being out there and going where it goes you know i didn't have i mean it is my profession it's my it's my passion it's my vocation and my avocation thank goodness i can make a living at it but um methodically i think about what we can do better newer more instructively and that the cumulative effect of that adds up and people take note and you've got this whole new audience coming on board looking and hungry and you're out there you know if you if you do what you do to keep yourself out there in the various channels people are going to find you it's amazing and thank goodness for that but i do recognize the fact that uh you know they say even an overnight sensation takes 9 years in in development you know and i'm not that but i i do think that because of being out there consistently and not screwing up and being selective on the messaging and that, you know, I, 
I take, I partner with certain companies and I don't partner with a lot of other companies just because I need to be authentic and my brand needs to be on point and who to who I am. And that's ultimately served me well as we get to this point in that people can kind of count on what I say and I'm not going to, you know, blow smoke in their direction. And they need, they need, whether it's me or, or you or whoever it is, they need a trusted guide to, to help them navigate these waters right now. And so I'm just fortunate that I am considered one of them. I, I think that's a great point you brought up. And it's something we talked about the last time you were on the podcast. And I had this, you know, go with me here, kids, because this is, this is an analogy slash metaphor that you may get lost in the woods on, but go with me. <laughs> that, you know, in the world of sports, we've always had analysts, right? And those analysts were historically people that many times had played the sport, right? These were, you know, the best quarterback, the best baseball player or a very good one. And we listened to those people because they had this wealth of experience and an insight that others didn't. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I've been very happy to see through this period of time when people have taken interest is some of the voices in the gardening lane. I don't know, Joe, if they always had that same level of cachet of experience. They haven't done the traveling. They haven't seen the things. I always tell people one of the things that has made, and I think for you too, it's very hard if you're talking about gardening, but you haven't traveled any. Mm -hmm. If you've only gardened in your own backyard, you know that intimately, but mm -hmm. there's such a difference between the Pacific Northwest and where you're at in Georgia, or where I'm at in Tennessee, or where someone's at in you know Maine or Michigan. You know the travel thing is a big deal. Has that? Have you seen that come back at people that when you can speak about starting seeds or growing things in a vegetable garden or just good gardening fundamentals that you have that wealth of knowledge? that is more global, for lack of a better word. It's not this more myopic view of knowledge that some people might have. Mm -hmm. It's one of the most fortunate opportunities I've had in my career is that nearly all of it through gardening, media, and television has been travel-related. I've been to places I would have never have gone before. It's, I've seen gardens in Denali, Alaska that, you know, they had they're awesome gardeners up there. They're mostly in their greenhouse doing it, but they're awesome. I, you know, Maine, San Diego, you every city, every corner of the US and beyond, I've had the privilege of being able to watch and learn and observe. It goes back to observation. But if you don't have a firsthand frame of reference for what it's like to grow in those regions that are different than yours, you cannot speak authoritatively. I, you know, I don't even profess to be an authority in those areas either. But growing principles are pretty much the same across the board. You just have to apply your where you are to ha adapting those principles. But the principles themselves are the same. But you still have to be able to relate to that. You be able, you need to be able to speak that language a little bit, and and that firsthand opportunity to see that with your own eyes and to talk to those people that that have been gardening in those areas. You you can't fake that. And it comes through very quickly. So although somebody can be an authority in their region had they never traveled elsewhere, and I don't want to take that away from anybody, but you just can't pull off trying to be all things to all people wherever they are as a gardening expert if you've not been there to know what they go through. It's, it, you can't come do that. In launching the course this year, 
Are you seeing anything demographic wise that stands out to you? Is it a, a, a little bit of a younger skew than maybe historically is because, I mean, we've we just recently had uh, Doug Oster on the podcast and Doug worked mm-hmm. in uh, print media and electronic media yeah. for so long in the Pittsburgh area. One of the things we talked about was ad sales. And historically, one of the raps gardening had was it was an older audience. It didn't pull in the key demographic markets that advertisers mm-hmm. wanted. Have you seen any change in it over this last year? I have. Uh, definitely in the last two years. I mean, we've seen a lot of new gardeners come in. And like with Master Seed starting relaunch this uh, this week and two ago, we get a lot of questions. We invite questions. We encourage questions, you know, and that's what I talked about helping people through the course. I'm there to, I'm the one answering their questions. And so every morning for a few hours, I'm fielding all these questions. And I love it that so many people start off their question with, I'm brand new at this. I've never done this before. This is all new to me. It it just makes me so happy to know because you, I'm sure know as well, we weren't seeing that kind of engagement a couple of years ago, even from new gardeners. They were busy doing other things and this wasn't on their radar. And now it is, and they are in with both feet. So that's really cool. And yet at the same time, there's no shortage or die off of interest with uh, gardeners that have been doing it a long time. In the, in my course, I get, I mean, it's, it's probably 50, 50. I get a lot of people that say, I've been doing this for 50 years and I'm still learning and, you know, I've learned some things here. So that's good too. But you and I both know that we've got to keep this industry alive and people excited and motivated. And the way that we're going to do it is to bring in the, you know, the new people. And so um, we create a lot of content geared specifically to attracting new gardeners. Like the next relaunch is coming up next month called Beginning Gardener Fundamentals. We did the course two years ago, uh, but it's very, very popular and for good reason. And so... Um, we are developing new courses for all types of gardeners, but where our real passion is and where we feel the need is, is to speak to those people that don't have a place to go for reliable information from a trusted source. I mean, we all know there's no shortage of information out there, but then filtering through the noise to get to the gold nuggets from a reliable source. And then, oh, God forbid, if you have a question, who do you go to for it? And the it's the newbies that have all the questions. So, um, a lot, we see a lot more of that in the last couple of years, and it's so refreshing. You've mentioned a couple of times how you enjoy the live interaction part with students. Mm-hmm. When you were designing these courses in the past and even now, that is one thing that I have been critical of, of some of the course offerings that are out there, that they're passive, mm-hmm. that there isn't any opportunity for people to interact and yeah. I, I think that is, that's tough, right? It, it's sort of like, you know, being in a, a college professor kind of situation where you're in this vacuum and you feel a little isolated from it. Was that intentional on your part? You nailed it. Here's the thing. My mother was a passionate teacher, high school teacher. She loved to teach and she loved her students and she was really good at it. And her students loved her and she loved them. And I do believe I got those genes. And I said this on the course many times in webinars and just helping people understand how my courses are. I love to teach and I've been doing it for more than two decades on television through the camera lens, but there's no engagement there. I mean, they're learning. Yes, indeed. But I don't have a chance to talk to them beyond my message that they're pulling through their, you know, through the broadcast. And, um, 
it doesn't feed me. I mean, I love doing it, but what feeds me is knowing that I'm feeding them and having a chance to follow up with them. So by design with our courses and the reason why they are different and they're priced at a premium is because they get a lot of my time, weekly office hours to our students of my time, uh, you know, unlimited access for that. The, the Q and A's all through the week that I personally answer. It's a lot of time, but it is the majority of my time these days. Uh, and, and I love it. And I know that they're getting what they need. And so it's a trade-off, but I'll tell you, I get people that push back, you know, when they hear about the course and they look into it and then they find out it's, you know, almost a couple hundred dollars or whatever it is. They're like, Whoa, wait a minute. You know, why are you charging that when I can go get, take a class online with the extension service for free or for a few bucks or go to YouTube? And I said, well, that's just the thing. These, this is not that course. I mean, you can do that. And if that's what feeds you do it, but this is not that course. This is a lot different. And then, you know, if, if I want to go on and explain why, which I've done a time or two, so they understand, um, they get it, you know, because people don't understand when they've been used to getting content for free for so long, or they can get content for free anytime online, how all of a sudden is it somebody is offering a course on seed starting that's 197 bucks? Well, here's why. And then, you you know, they, when they get it, they get it. But until then there's a lot of pushback, but that's okay. It's just, it's learning. It's education like everything else. I think what you just said is so interesting to me. And I'm going to, I'm going to bring something up here that involves the cut flower world for a second, that there's a very popular brand based in the Pacific Northwest who has a flower cutting course, learn how to be a flower farmer. And it is exceptionally expensive, Joe. Yeah. And I, I, I can tell everyone, anyone who's followed me knows uh, there's no engagement there, right? And you are, in fact, just learning from someone who has grown things in the Pacific Northwest. And that's great if that's your thing. But I think I would make the, I'm advocating for Joe here, that there is this real difference. I've got to be honest with you guys. I say this all the time and I know Joe's like this. I'm like this. I'm very picky with who I have on the podcast. I'm very picky with who I think is a, a, a person who has credibility in the world. That's why you hear a lot on the podcast. We have people with the word doctor in their name frequently sometimes. We have people that have 30 years, 40 years of experience doing something. And I think yeah. Joe is one of these people that, I mean, I have, have paid attention to your, your promotions that you've done for the course. And I think what I've seen in it that I really appreciate is you're, you're walking people, not just through the recipes, but you're walking people through the whys. And mm. so often when we go on the YouTubes and we see the people and whatever you're doing, okay, there's no whys, Joe. It's just like, do this. And then you take a pound of this and you mix it with a quarter pound of this and then put it in the oven for 30 minutes and you grow some fresh tomatoes. See you guys next week. That's what so much of it strikes me as, you know, and yeah. is that something that in, in trying to translate that to people, the why's Joe, the why we're doing things. And I just don't, just don't do this because I said so, but do this because here's why you're doing this. That's my thing. It's the why do behind the how to, so that you can be a better, smarter, more confident gardener. I say it all the time. And if somebody asks me to give them a 10 second pitch on who I am and what I do, it's helping them understand the why do behind the how to, so they can be a better, smarter, more confident gardener. Because when you know the why behind the how, you can apply that information to those other things. And all of a sudden it like, you know, and like to what you said, it's the difference between a cook and a chef. 
a cook follows the how-to steps of the recipe, right? And ultimately they get to the finished dish, but they don't know why it was a quarter cup of sugar and a eighth of a teaspoon of baking soda. And, you know, those specific measurements, whereas a chef, they get it. They understand why too much of this is not good or not enough of that is bad. You know, it's putting it all together. But until somebody helps you understand that part of it, you're just following a recipe. And I'm not sure you really learn. I mean, I guess if you did it enough, you'd learn how to make that thing without looking at the recipe again. But I'm not sure you could apply that information to making something completely different, even though there's a lot of crossover there. That's it. And when you, when you're seeing people, where does the interest lie? Like in plants, right? I would imagine you get some people that are like, my goal is this, right? I mean, do people have really just humble goals? Are there people just like, hey, I just want to grow something? Or are there people that are like specific? I want to grow an heirloom squash varietal that I found on Seed Savers Exchange. Like, does it have a range? I, I don't think they start there. I think that it's more about I don't understand seed starting. I'm intimidated by it. I want to just learn the basics first. And quickly they evolve. I mean, it's amazing once you give them the right tools and you give them a little bit of a handhold, um, they quickly evolve. I don't often see somebody just diving in as the first step doing that, you know, that special specialty crop or something like that. Um, so I think they start off more just dipping their toe in the water in a general sense, and they quickly get bit by the bug and um, it's off to the races. I want to hit a topic with you that I, I know you have been knee deep in that I think is a, a change for a lot of people. And we're going to get real specific here on seed starting, which is okay. LED lighting. Mm -hmm. And it in the last five, you know, I mean, I remember 10 years ago when you first started to see some hit the market, they were very expensive. It was more just in commercial applications. You were seeing them. Uh, some of them were just in California, Joe, with a very specific crop that has a very high per pound and they weigh it by the ounce kind of <laughs> number behind it, Joe. That's where I first started to see a lot of LED lights. Um, I know you've even worked and trialed and gone through and experimented with those. What's your general take on them? Good, bad? Is Where have you landed on them over the last few years? I'd say good and um, the technology continues to evolve. I think um, this is a great example of understanding how light, you know, having an understanding of basic light science will help you know what to do with whatever light that you have, albeit a 40 watt fluorescent shop light, a T12 old style shop light up to a 2000 watt dual band LED bad boy mega light. And those things, let me tell you, I mean, if you really want to grow something to go to flower and fruit indoors, get an LED light that's got the firepower behind it, no doubt. But as a seed starter, and I do trial, I've got a lot of different lights right now fired up in my grow room, LED fluorescence and every combination in between, between full spectrum, dual band, you name it. Cause I'm always experimenting. And my take is this, and this is what I tell my students work with your budget and, and then buy what you can, whether it's an LED or fluorescent, we'll make it work. Once I teach you how to understand how plants respond to light, and how light works and how you work with a plant to work with the light that it, you have, you'll be successful. What you're trying to do, you're not entering it in a state competition. You're growing that seedling to get outside in six weeks. So it, mother nature takes over from there. So it does not have to be perfect. 
but I'm going to help you get that plant healthy enough with the lights that you have for the most part to be successful. So LED lights can be very deceptively powerful. And I've had more challenges with LED lights by far trying to figure out the sweet spot between the distance above the plant as it grows and from where to start. And light frequencies, whether you're doing a full spectrum or you're doing a 3000 Kelvin or 6500, you know, there's just a lot to know. And that's what I think intimidates gardeners the most right now, seed starters especially, because they, they get overwhelmed and quickly intimidated by the lighting options. So it's a big module in my course. We really go over it in three areas. Tomorrow, uh, I do one of my one of my, my Friday office hours. Tomorrow, we're bringing in Leslie Halleck, who wrote the book, Gardening Under Lights. And she goes deeper than anybody I know on the science behind the light and helping people understand it. So I'm bringing her in for my students so that they can hear from her. They're submitting their questions in advance. And we're going to have a live Q&A for an hour plus tomorrow about lighting and LEDs and fluorescence and which is better. Because that's the question. People want to know which is better and which light they should get. There's not a right answer for that. You know, it depends on a lot of things, well, mainly and, your budget. Yeah. And Jeff Bezos has not done us any favors with this, Joe. <laughs> you search LED grow lights on Amazon and you get the pun incoming, the spectrum. I mean, it is everything from single wattage, single element to, like you said, some with fans and heat sinks. And I mean, it is, I can see it from the vantage point of someone who is brand new that it can, it could be a lot, just that search result alone. And, and even the LED providers that had generation one last year and two, the later in the year, now it's generation three, this, and two switches versus one switch. And it's like, really? I, I don't know. Um, you're exactly right. And even with fluorescent lights, you know, you can't, you can't just go and replace your old fluorescent shop lights anymore because although you might be able to find the tubes, if you wanted more fixtures, you probably can't find them because they're, they've been all adapted to LED tube inserts. And, um, and then you got T12 and T8 and T5 and oh my God, you know, one puts out more heat than light. One puts out more light than heat. And it's like, what do I, so it's it, like I said, it's the area we spend most of our time, but for good reason, because there's a lot of options and people don't spend every day studying light science. Not that they have to, but it makes you smarter about how to make those lights work that you've got. So yeah, that's a big one. It's the wise kids, the wise. So mm -hmm. I've got to imagine tomatoes come up frequently, Joe. What is it about the tomato? Like, I mean, I've said this before in, in a joking way. It is a plant that just based upon its genetic background has some potential hazards, but it seems like the plant that everybody wants to grow from a vegetable gardening perspective. It just seems almost sometimes, Joe, like it's it's the bar is a little high sometimes for people with tomatoes. And when they have failed with them, they immediately, you know, lash themselves with a thousand whips instead of maybe saying, you know, hey, this is a plant that has very specific things that it can be prone to. Is, is the tomato sort of like the, I would imagine the holy grail for some people? Uh, you took the words, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was about to say it's the holy grail. It's the um, it's the trophy plant. You, you know, there is a literal trophy at the end of, you know, that goal that you're getting to is to grow that vine-ripe tomato by the 4th of July or whatever. But you want that gorgeous heirloom tomato in your face that you pulled off that plant that you grew and started from seed or not. But um, the thing about it is, 
even if it were easy to grow, I mean, I, everybody would want to grow their tomatoes. But I think part of the allure to it is that it's not an easy plant to grow. It's flipping hard to grow yes. a tomato to get it to the point where it's finally ready to harvest and all the challenges in the meantime. And I don't mean to keep bringing up the courses, but uh, you you prompted me to to say, I mean, the, our next new huge course launch is in May and it's called Growing Epic Tomatoes. And it's with Craig LaHoulier, the author of the best-selling book, Growing Epic Tomatoes. And it's because what you just said, everybody wants to grow that perfect tomato and there is no perfect, uh, you can't do it. But like I said, with uh, getting your seedling outside, if you can get your plant fairly free of diseases or pests and get it to that point where you're producing tomatoes and you got 15 pounds off your plant, call it. I mean, hey, in, in August, here in Atlanta, Georgia, I'm pulling out all my tomato plants in August because I've had a heck of a July and they're not looking so good in August and I'm ready to, you know, get into my fall crop. So, uh, it's hard, but, uh, it's challenging. It's rewarding when you pull that tomato off. It's a huge trophy and it's just the confirmation of you did it, man. So, you know, it always, I think you're totally right about that. I just, in my mind, whenever I see anybody growing tomatoes, Joe, I immediately see the sales of fresh mozzarella cheese and balsamic vinegar going up because caprese salad seems to be <laughs> the de facto next thing people go to, right? The tomato yeah. salad immediately made after that tomato is harvested. And, you know, we can, we, we, we really owe a thanks to our local grocery store and supermarket for selling crappy tasting tomatoes. <laughs> yes, you're totally right. <laughs> I, I think that is one of the, it's one of those things is heirloom tomatoes and that whole verbiage through the nineties started to percolate and bubble and restaurants and everything else. I think the, the success of it was so much predicated on what you just said. That the tomatoes and the mainstream commodity determinant tomato crop that had been introduced over the last 30 years had just made people go, this doesn't taste like anything. Uh, right. <laughs> My gosh. Do, do you, are you familiar with the book Tomato Land? By yes. Any, by, yes. That's, I mean, if anybody wanted to really understand the commercial tomato growing business, uh, you need to read this book. It's a page turner. It's a drama, but it's a true story by a, New York Times bestselling author who was following a tomato truck, a flatbed loaded with these round, these round green orbs in Florida, <clears throat> trying to figure out, he's trying to figure out the whole time. What, what is in that truck? What are those green balls in there? And one finally fell out of the truck and rolled down Tamiami trail for, you know, 150 yards or whatever. Finally came to a stop. He got out, picked it up and realized it was a tomato off to the market, you know, and then they gas it at some point. It turns red. So anyway, he got into this book about it and, and it was fascinating, but, but my, all that to say a few families in Florida own 90% of the commercial tomato business coming out of Florida. And it, that infiltrates all of the supermarkets through the rest of the year. When we buy a tomato in January, it's come from there, but in the quality control specs for those tomatoes, consistency of size, shape is high on the list, but there's not even a tick mark for flavor for those tomatoes when they're breeding them. The tomato doesn't even factor into the equation. Uh, there's a flavor. There's, flavor. There's, there's these moments that I picture in old 1980s cruise ship, Joe, and there's iceberg lettuce and four slices of a very pale fleshed tomato <laughs> sitting there. And I think that represents where the tomato was. And now you you see, um, you know, people obviously shout out here, people like Baker Creek have, you know, been for a long time 
Seed Savers Exchange in the upper Midwest. I mean, there had been so many people in this last 20 years at the national level who had gotten into this beyond people at the local level um, who were seed saving. How much of that have you been teaching to people too that, I mean, we, for all of us, we really owe a debt to so many of these people with things like tomatoes who have kept these things even available. Right. Just did a video on this yesterday. You know, people don't, you know, they hear the term heirloom seed or heirloom flower all the time. And I don't know that they really know what heirloom means, but, you know, I learned from the co-founder of Seed Savers Exchange, Diana Wheely, when we did a show there and when I've talked to her recently on occasions, at the turn of the 1900s, 90% of what was growing then is no longer available today because it's extinct. Commercial growers in their consolidation efforts shortly after that time period decided that they were only going to carry so many things. And through that process of refining their inventory, they just stopped saving the seed from the fruits and the vegetables, the flowers that were producing those seeds because they just didn't want to add that to their inventory list. And if it wasn't for the families passing down those very special family heirloom favorites for whatever reason, because it had a great trait to it or the flavor or the bloom or the region or the size or whatever the trait was that caused them to go to the effort to pass it down from generation to generation. We wouldn't have most of what we have today. So um, it's critically important now more than ever that we maintain that seed diversity because we're losing that. And if it's not for the yous and me's out there, learning to save those seeds and keeping those going, you know, who knows what we will have or won't have a generation or two from now. Thank goodness. You know, I think more people are saving seeds now because of that very reason. And, um, we need to, but we, we encourage that all the time. We teach it when we can, and we're going to do a a very specific plan about that, but people, it's fun too. That's the other thing. And to, and to save this tomato seeds from this, that trophy tomato that you grew yourself and then put it in the ground next year and perpetuate that. Oh my gosh, it doesn't get any better than that. And how, how have you navigated? And this is something that I get a lot and we play in, in the same sandbox, but sometimes it feels like they're divided a little bit more vegetable edibles. I'm like, Mr. Like talk to people about dahlias and roses. And I get these questions all the time of, what are your favorites? What are your top five favorites? How have you, because this is a very particular subject for me. I get a little prickly on it occasionally, Joe. How have you navigated that? Because I'm sure there are people that will come to you and are like, just give me the five things. <laughs> I, I do get that a lot. And uh, I love heirlooms. I am a classic heirloom plant grower. The, the table right behind me there is uh, full of save seeds and I'm sowing seeds and I've been doing it and that it's full and uh, lots of great favorite heirlooms. And I grow many of the same ones over and over yet. I make myself and it's not hard to do, but I always grow new stuff, new to me stuff uh, every year because I don't want to burn out on just the same old stuff. Even though I don't think I ever could, but I need to open my eyes to what else is out there. Cause there's hundreds and thousands of heirloom varieties that I've never tried before. And I may find my new best favorite, uh, but I have my favorites. And so if somebody presses me, it's, it's going to be, you know, a list of 15 to 20, uh, but that may change next year. But yeah, I, that, that phrase you used new to me, 
I think is a great one because mm-hmm. one thing that I notice, and I think this is universal in the world of gardening and plants in general, is the marketing component behind new. New has been a, uh, it's an overpowered, it's an OP word in the gardening world sometimes that new, new doesn't always mean mm-hmm. better. It is right. it, how have you gone through like in your world now and communicating through the courses that phrase that you know new isn't always better new to me is sometimes more powerful than just new I'm I I'm a big proponent of new to me and that could be with what they're trying or as far as what they're growing or just expanding their frame of reference on what they've done, you know, do something different, do something new, try it. You, you know, this, if you're a gardener and you're growing anything, the best way that you're going to be better at what you do is to try and do something different. And if you fail, and that's not even the right word, really, to me, it's like, if you create a new opportunity because you did something that didn't work out to your expectations, well, now you, you've created an opportunity to figure out what didn't go right about that and get the why behind the how. And so that you can apply that and figure it out and put your detective hat on and work through that. And um, so new may mean a new to me heirloom variety, but new also can mean for that maybe intimidated gardener, you know, they want something that's new because it's been bred to be more disease resistant or bred to be smaller or whatever it is. You know, if that's going to help that gardener, uh, for whatever reason, and, and because it is new through uh, specific breeding protocols to get to that objective, that's fine too. But um, we got a lot of new out there that doesn't really serve us in any way. But for, I guess for somebody it does. But I, it can be overwhelming. With you know, you open up any catalog or don't open it up and just look how thick it is. That alone is pretty intimidating. And a lot of that's the new stuff in there. How much do you think, and this is a topic that has come up on the podcast over time with different guests from different backgrounds from all over the world, but for new gardeners, getting to a point where they feel confident enough to be brave. There is a lot of trepidation I think in the early days of stepping in to gardening, I think I would probably say some of that is just due to the the perception from the outside in. Some of it was coming from the industry, wasn't always the most welcoming at times. How much of that is it to you? The giving people like, it's okay. Like plants are going to die. Some plants are just not going to do it. The weather is going to show up some days. And if you're, if you're in the upper Midwest right now and it's February, you're like, oh my God, it's negative 29 degrees out. Will this ever end? How much of it is just getting people to that point of confidence where they can begin to be brave and really start exploring? When you let them know Uh, Contrary to what they might think, the stakes are really low. You know, the cost of a seed pack, the purchase price of a plant, uh, a bag of soil. I mean, this is a great, there there are very few barriers to entry for gardening. A grow bag, come on. I don't, okay, so you don't have a backyard. Do you have a spot of sun somewhere on your deck or something? I mean, do it. And that's the thing you've got to try. You just got to try. You're never going to be better at anything until you you know, take that first step 
and go from there. And that's what I tell everybody. So don't, don't not do it just because you either don't think you can, or you're afraid to start. You, you can, and there's nothing to be afraid of. Where do you sit now with growing a greener world? I was curious about that. Do you, are you still going to, have you been able to move into production with that? Has all of the, the interest in the courses changed that plan at all? What's sort of the, the plans for that moving forward? So as far as growing a greener world, the pandemic has really wreaked havoc with us and our crew and our travel. You know, the nature of this show has always been to travel the country, to tell the stories of people and places doing great things through the planet, for the planet, through organic gardening and environmental stewardship. So last year when we had our whole season mapped out, we were going to some amazing places. And then we all know what happened. And we don't start production traveling until April. So suddenly we weren't traveling. And initially I had this great idea. Great. You know, people want me to do more shows from my place. I'll just do more shows from my place, which meant 13 new shows from my place. And I wrote up a great lineup of shows and they all sounded great. And when I started thinking about it and looked at the timeline and the production schedule and the logistics and the real reality of doing that, I finally realized that it's impossible to do everything that I'd mapped out to do here just simply because of the time constraints and the the logistics of all of that coming together. So we pulled it off and it was ended up being a really good season. And um, we did a little bit of local traveling and we were, you know, careful about that and everything worked out fine. This year, it's been difficult and we're still working on the scheduling because fortunately it's still early in the year, but we don't see being able to travel like we used to yet. So we're trying to figure that out, which just means it's probably more local stuff and um, hybridizing some of the shows that we've done in the past that we can repurpose and rewrite and restructure and retheme and make a new show out of it, which makes sense. And um, there'll be some of that too. So we're mapping that out right now, but it 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 it's not unfortunately what it has been when we've been able to go all over, you know, without any any limitations. So we'll G see. Give me the lineup for the courses you mentioned already that you've got. Uh, gardening mm -hmm. fundamentals and then epic yeah. epic tomatoes is just a fun name joe so i'm feeling growing, like epic, I, epic I th tomatoes would be fun thank god he wrote that book by that title growing epic tomatoes and and he's fine with that using that and um so we're excited about that so we just finished master seed starting we are relaunching beginning gardener fundamentals which is full of information for any gardener but the name beginning is in there when we first created the course because we really wanted to attract that beginning gardeners we've talked about you know it's a big passion of mine to bring more of them in so we built it into the name and then when we saw how many experienced gardeners were signing up for that course we thought what and yet they they were very complimentary in how much they learn we're talking master gardeners horticulturalists and i'm like this is crazy but anyway so we changed the name the next year last year to essential gardening fundamentals kept the course the same but changed the name because we didn't want it to sound as though it was just for beginners and that did fine too but now we're going back and updating the course but going back to beginning gardener fundamentals because we really do want to go back to the initial intent of creating this course was to give new gardeners beginning gardeners or early gardeners something that they could get their head around that they, that they could feel like was made for them and so that's what this is and then master seed start mass beginning Sorry, growing epic tomatoes is in May. So we've, and then we've got uh, a course this summer with Brie Arthur called uh, Making More Plants, 
So she's the premier, one of the premier plant propagators out there. She's the president of the International Plant Propagator Society this year. That doesn't hurt. But she's so good at that. And um, she's in the docket. So we have a really, really busy year on top of the show. But um, online education has become a, a big, big part of where my focus has been and where I can meet people where they need to be met and using the technology that's available today and my gift and skills at teaching. And um, I'm going to make the most of it. Cross ties of these old abandoned rails Wondering about the stories they could tell I think of all the weight I carry on my own And I try to empathize with all they bear There's something about the sun that brings me back to life it's just like staring in your eyes And I can't tell you what it is I'm doing here All I know is nothing's felt so right So let me stay Feeling this way
time is for you.